Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. On Thursday, November 26, 1789, President George Washington issued a proclamation for a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. And beginning in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln encouraged Americans to recognize the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving. And a few years later, in 1870, uh, Congress followed suit by passing legislation making Thanksgiving Day, along with Christmas Day, New Year's Day, and Independence Day, a national holiday. But in 1930, our nation was gripped by the Great Depression. Unemployment was high, farm prices were low, bread lines were long, and homeless shelters were full. And in response, the American Association for the Advancement of Atheism, not triple A, quadruple A, um, I didn't know there was such a thing, but... uh, they sent a petition to the president asking that the Thanksgiving proclamation be canceled that year. How can anyone give thanks with so much suffering, with so much want throughout the world? How can people praise a God who allows such widespread pain? Today, if we only looked at the war zones around the world, if we only looked at the interest rates, the political turmoil, if we only looked at those things, we might feel upset as well. But there is far much more that God is doing for his people that the world will never see. We have so many reasons to be thankful to God. Amen? For his sustaining grace, for his power, for his love, for his kindness. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 103, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, and I'll have the verses up here on the screen as well. We're going to be looking at Psalm 103, a psalm of thanksgiving and praise from David for the Lord's mercies. And the psalm starts this way, Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That word bless in the Hebrew is an interesting word. It has many shades of meaning, but the Hebrew word is barak. Um, And You know, we understand God's blessings, that when we receive a blessing from God, uh, that often means a a gift, a token of kindness, something that happens for us. But what does it mean when we bless God? Because there's really nothing we can offer Him, right? He has everything. Uh, But what it means... Uh, often is that we acknowledge him as the giver, as the creator. And when that word Barak is translated into the Greek, uh, as they did for the Septuagint, they translated the Hebrew into the Greek, 
The Greek word used is the Greek word eulageo, which we might recognize in the word eulogy. And what is a eulogy? A eulogy is the part of the funeral where they speak well about the person who passed away. So really, when we bless God, it means that we speak well of God. That we speak well of Him to others around us. No matter what is happening to us, we recognize who God is and what He has done for us, and we bless His name. We speak well of Him. And sometimes that means even in our own personal monologue that we walk around with every day, that we recognize God's goodness to us and we speak well of him and we remind ourselves, as he says, do not forget all of his benefits. As humans, we often focus on the wrong done to us, on the things that we're suffering through, and we forget about all the good that God has done for us, all the wonderful things that he has brought into our life. Verses 3 through 5, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As I read this, I see the promises of God that are given to every partaker of God's love. And most of these, not the first one, God forgives all of our iniquities now, but all of these will be realized in the kingdom to come, in the future. There will be no more disease, no more sorrow, no more crying. Our life will be redeemed from death, from destruction. And at that day, we're told that we will finally be given the crown of righteousness. So David looks forward to a day, looks forward to the promises of a day that we don't have all of the the suffering and the pain that we experience today. And the Bible often uses this term. It talks about youth being renewed like an eagle's. Just kind of as an aside, it used to be believed that eagles, when they molted, when they molted off their feathers, that basically they were reborn. The, the eagles, eagles, without the pollution we have nowadays, their lifespan is about 50 years. So you could imagine seeing an eagle every year thinking, wow, it's like they're renewed, they're brand new. I'm not sure why it's not advancing. Now we're going the wrong way. The Lord executes, is that where we're at? Six. Um, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. 
So here the psalmist, at first, he looked, the past three verses, he looked forward to the future, when we would be redeemed from death, when we would be given the crown of righteousness. And now he looks back, all the way to the past, to how God dealt with people. Right? He will not always strive... Sorry. It's advancing without my asking. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all. He made his ways known to Moses. He invokes the name of Moses and of Israel and all that God did for the nation of Israel. And if there's anyone uh, that didn't deserve forgiveness, that if there was anyone that was uh, tested God to his absolute limits, it was the nation of Israel. Imagine you're walking in a desert and God is a cloud of uh, for you by day. The sun never shines on you. It's never too hot. By night, he's a pillar of fire. You're always warm, even in the cold desert. Food literally rains from heaven in the form of manna. And yet the people complained and requested to go back to Egypt. But God, it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. That last verse there is almost a word-for-word word quote from what God told Moses when Moses said, Lord, reveal your character, reveal yourself to me. And of course, when God was revealing himself, it wasn't just his physical body that he was showing, but it was his character, who he was. And he is one who is merciful and gracious and abounding in mercy. Verse 9, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not rewarded us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. We're so thankful that God's anger is fleeting, that he is more merciful to us than we deserve. It says he has not rewarded us according to our sins. Instead of giving us the punishment that we deserve for our sins, instead of giving us that, he gave us Jesus Christ, our true reward, the one who redeems us from our sins, who washes away our sins. Instead of punishment, we're given the means of reconciliation, that we can be at one again with God. For as great as, uh, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I find this part amazing because he gives us spatial terms for the measurement of God's mercy. You know, sometimes your child comes up to you and he says, I love you this much. Right? And God is saying, I love you as far as the heavens are above the earth. How far is heaven from the earth? How far is east from west? You know, I believe that often the Bible writers were writing, and they're so impressed, they're so awestruck by God's love, by God's care, that they struggled to put it even in terms that we could understand. You know, when Jesus said he would return, he said that he would shine like lightning from what? 
from the east to the west. Our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west, and between us and our sins is Jesus Christ shining on our behalf. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So this part focuses on the paternal nature of God. Throughout the Bible, we see it. Jesus says when, he, when, we, when we pray that we refer to God as our Father. Right? And I'm beginning to understand what it means to pity your son, to pity your child. Uh, my son's just now getting old enough to get into things and pull things down and, uh, dare I say, break things. Um, but I just look at him and, I, and, and my heart breaks and I pity him and I feel, you know, uh, I feel his pain when he cries and, and uh, when I see him in distress, I, I, I don't know what to do. I just uh, want to hold him close and comfort him. And that's how God views us as his children. Is he, doesn't, he doesn't focus on what we've done against him. He focuses on his love for us and his, and his redemption and what he poured out Jesus Christ, that he allowed Jesus Christ to pour out his life for us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. When we are gone, after this world, well, we may, this world may go on after we die, the world will not remember us. The world will not remember us, but God remembers us. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers us. For as for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. So here it is we have uh, an interesting contrast because what the psalmist is saying is the world is not going to remember you, but God is, and God does. So while the world forgets you, God remembers who you are. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your, your pain and your suffering. He knows all of these things. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Here the mercy of God is seen extending even so far as the children's children, to the grandchildren, to those who, who keep his covenant and remember his precepts. And this is what I think a lot of our brothers and sisters in other denominations forget when they talk about God's law passing away or being done away with. Um, God's infinite mercy is based upon the eternal nature of his law. The law has to exist forever for him to be merciful, right? Because if you transgress the law, that's the only way that mercy can exist, and so God's perpetual mercy is based on the eternal nature of his law. And if God were going to do away with the law, why is he so consistently adamant that we remember it and that we follow it? But the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. 
Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. So God, uh, God's sovereignty is mentioned. He's established his throne. He is over all. He sees everything. He makes the rules and his subjects follow the rules. And now not just humans are, are encouraged, are entreated to bless God, but it says, bless the Lord, you his angels. And why not? Who knows God better than his angels? The ones who go on his missions of mercy. The one who are the ministering spirits on his behalf. Who knows God better than him? Than them. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts. You ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. You know, I had never thought about this, but I had a, 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 a professor at Southern bring it up to me in, in the vision that Isaiah has in Isaiah 6 of the Lord. Uh, there are two angels on each side of God, and what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. And he brought out the fact that those angels are free will beings. They're not programmed to fly there saying, holy, holy, holy. They're doing that of their own volition. They're doing that because they see the holiness of God and, and they can't better express than, themselves than say, holy, holy, holy. And we see it throughout the Bible, God's angels blessing him. We're coming up to the Christmas season and we have that beautiful story of the angels up to the shepherds say, glory to God in the highest. Free will offering, uh, free will beings offering praise to God, choosing to be his ambassadors. And in the end, it says, Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. All creation praises and thanks God for what he has done. Were there wars in David's time? Was there suffering in David's time? You could argue that suffering was even greater if you look at some of the, the diseases that Jesus healed. We, we've overcome a lot of the diseases and pain, and we have painkillers. We have uh, things that can, that can heal people, medicine. Yet the resounding conclusion of this is that God deserves our thanksgiving and praise. And he ends the psalm the same way he began it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. After nearly two months at sea, sailing across the stormy North Atlantic in the late fall, the pilgrims spotted Cape Cod on November 9th, 1620. Their intended destination was south near the Hudson River, but the tides would not allow to get them that far down, and so they believed it to be the providence of God that they were landing where they were. And so the men explored for over a month, finally settling on a place, a location in the modern day we call Plymouth, and they laid their plans for a village. Now, I don't know if you've ever been back east, but by November 9th, back east, that far north, it's already cold. There's already snow on the ground. I remember it snowing one year on my birthday, October 16th. So snow is already there. 102 pilgrims had made the voyage and had landed there at Plymouth. And by the end of March, 
the next year, 47 had died. Imagine, 102 people are there, 47 have died. That's almost half of the amount of people that started the place. And on March 16th, 1621, an Indian walked into the camp. An English-speaking Indian named Samoset, and he soon brought with him another English-speaking Indian named Squanto. And you could wonder, well, how are they speaking English? Well, Jamestown, the settlement of Jamestown, had already been established 13 years prior. So they, they probably had contact with the English and, and had learned the language. Governor William Bradford, if you read, uh, he wrote a diary that's titled um, Of Plymouth Plantation. And he writes in this diary, you can still find it on Amazon, uh, copies of it. Uh, he wrote this, Squanto continued with them, the pilgrims, and was their interpreter and was a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond expectation. So it's interesting, God had used these people that, that many had considered heathen, right, to bless the pilgrims, to bless those who had been seeking um, religious liberty and independence. And uh, one of the pilgrims, Edward Winslow, recorded the following, which is where we get our account of Thanksgiving, our harvest being gotten. Our governor sent four men on fowling so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four killed as much fowl as with a little help besides served the company almost a week, at which time amongst the other recreations we exercised our arms, many of the Indians coming amongst us and amongst the rest of their greatest king, Massasoit, he was the chief, with some 90 men who for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you to be partakers of plenty." And he goes on to describe the friendly relations that existed between the pilgrims and the Indians. Squanto, that, that Indian interpreter, on his deathbed asked the governor, Bradford, that he would pray that for him that he might go to the Englishman's heaven. Chief Massasoit had three sons, all of whom he gave biblical names. The youngest was Philip. And another warrior who replaced Squanto after he died, as he replaced Squanto as an interpreter, devoted himself to God after a prayer meeting in 1623. Now you think about what, what after that first winter, after losing half of their people, they could have turned their backs on God. They could have said, you know what? God is not with us. We've lost brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, grandparents, children. But they didn't. They blessed God. They spoke well of God. So much so that these Native Americans that came to them 
we may see many of them in heaven as a result. So this Thanksgiving season, while the rest of the U.S. is focused on gluttony and football, um, maybe we can take some time to think about God's benefits to us this year and the wonderful things he's done for us. And if this year hasn't been great for you, you can look like David, look further back in the ways that God has blessed you in the past. Or you can look further forward to the promised blessings that we have been given. That there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor pain, nor suffering. May this Thanksgiving Day be one of prayer and praise to God for the many ways in which he has benefited his people And may we remember all that he has done for us. If that's your desire, I want to hear a hearty amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful and thankful for your benefits toward us. We look at the things we have and the places we live. We look at our health and well-being, our children, our family. And often we realize that we don't deserve the great blessings that you have bestowed upon us. That we are sinners. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has forgiven our sin, who has washed it away, who is shining for us, who is constantly interceding on our behalf. Lord, thank you for all the benefits that you have bestowed upon your people. We are so grateful and thankful. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.